This is Recorded Future, Inside Threat Intelligence for Cybersecurity. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Episode 106 of the Recorded Future podcast. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire. In this episode, we check in with Recorded Future's Levi Gundert and Alan Liska for a refresher on threat intelligence. How have they come to describe it, and why do some people have a hard time wrapping their heads around what exactly it is and is not? We'll find out if threat intelligence is for everyone, and if so, how organizations of different sizes best engage and make use of actionable threat intelligence. And we'll learn how combining the strengths of human analysts with the capabilities of -of state-of-the-art machine learning provides the best of both worlds. Stay with us. I tell you what, why don't we just start off with some really, really basic stuff. Let's go back to the beginning. I think, Levi, you were one of my first guests on the Recorded Future podcast, and we covered uh, the basics of what threat intelligence is. I, I want to start off by revisiting that. You know, when you are uh, visiting with your, your friends and family around the holidays, around the dinner table, and people, you, you try to describe to people what you do for a living, and they say, what is threat intelligence? What do you tell them? I immediately default back to uh, cybersecurity because it's just easier to explain. It's really hard to explain threat intelligence to family members. And most people have about five seconds of tolerance for that kind of conversation before they (laughs) mentally check out and want to move on to sports. So it's, it's really difficult. And I think everyone in our industry struggles with, with how to do this. So no, I, I tend to default back to cybersecurity. And I talk about the fact that, you know, we, we closely study and monitor what, adversaries and threat actors are are doing and how they do it and how they attack companies better understanding how they do what they do. And that, that seems to get a a general sort of head nod, you know, in Mm -hmm. terms of, of acceptance. Alan, how about you? So Levi's family is uh, way smarter than my family because I've just given (laughs) up and tell them I work with computers. I see. (laughs) I'm familiar with that. Yes. Um, (laughs) When when people ask what I do, it's similar to what Levi said, that it is looking for what the bad guys are doing, what kind of activities they're engaged in, and more importantly, how that's going to impact our customers and letting our customers know how they can protect themselves from that threat. So, uh, you know, threat intelligence is really information about a, an adversary that you can use to better protect your organization against that adversary. Do do you have a, a for instance, that you use? Levi, let me start with you there. If you're trying to uh, explain what you all do to someone who might have a little more knowledge about cybersecurity in general, do you have a, a favorite example? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell people, you know, if we, if we identify a certain technique or we identify a certain tactic that an adversary is using to gain access into a network, you know, we'll want to share that information with our other clients and, you know, the clients will take that information and they will hunt for uh, those tactics or those techniques in their own network, you know, and how they do that hunting really varies based on the data sets that are available to them and the tools that are available to them. And, you know, some of the expertise and the people that are employed across our very our various client set, but, you know, at, at its core, that's, that's sort of one of the primary functions of what we do. You know, Alan, in uh, the time that we've been doing this podcast, something that comes up over and over again 
is this notion that threat intelligence needs to be actionable in order to be useful. Can you sort of unpack that for us, the importance of, of, of it being actionable and also contextual? So, yeah, you know, I'll give you an example. You see the, the television advertisements all the time from various companies that tell you, hey, we monitor for your social security number on the dark web, right? And that's, oh, scary, I need to buy that because people may have my social security number on the dark web. That's not threat intelligence because what can I do with that information? So if one of these companies emails me and says, hey, we found your social security number on the dark web, what am I supposed to do with that? I can't go get a new social security number. I can't tell the bad guys. I can't jump onto those forums and say, please stop sharing my social security number. It makes me sad. So there's nothing really actionable about that. So to me, is actionable is something that allows you to take an action. So if I tell you, hey, you know, this exploit kit just added a new exploit for a zero-day Windows uh, Internet Explorer vulnerability. Now you know, hey, I need to either set up compensating controls or I need to patch all of my Internet Explorer uh, uh, install base so that we're not impacted by this uh, exploit kit. And that's what I mean when I say something has to be actionable. Now, uh, Levi, I mean, is that sort of part of the value added with uh, with some of the things that you provide where uh, not only providing that intelligence, but then that second level of saying, you know, here's what this information is and here's why you need to care? Certainly. So if you want to be better informed, you listen to the CyberWire. You know, you, <laughs> you, you can't create a threat intelligence program purely because you want to be better informed. You know, the, the whole point of threat intelligence to Alan's point is that you need operational outcomes and operational outcomes is something that you can measure. So if it's not if it's not something you do and it's not something that can really be measured, then you kind of have to step back and ask yourself if you're really extracting the value uh, that you should be from threat intelligence. I want to walk through sort of the life cycle of organizations and and, and at what point it makes sense for them to engage and use threat intelligence cuz I think there's a, a bit of a misunderstanding or a misperception that threat intelligence is just something for the big boys, and it's something you have to kind of grow into. But you all make the point that that's probably not the case. Yeah, that's definitely true. It doesn't matter what, what size of organization you are today. The fundamental concept of security is that you can apply threat intelligence in an automated fashion, that there's huge opportunities for automation and, and orchestration and really for um, technology plays you know, across your business, whether you're a small business, medium business, or an enterprise Finding great people, retaining great people is, is difficult, regardless of what size business you are. And so we really see an opportunity for more automation of threat intelligence. And, you know, even if you're a small business and your only security apparatus is a firewall, you know, that's your firewall can still be supercharged, turbocharged uh, with good threat intelligence. You know, even if you're maybe your only uh, host based security control is is basic antivirus software. You know, if you're collecting logs off of off of that antivirus software, that that can still be correlated with good threat intelligence. So there's really opportunities at, at every level of an organization to to benefit from threat intelligence. And it it doesn't necessarily have to be enabled by people. Right? It's the process and the automation that can really make a huge difference. Hmm. And then, Alan, how about for those larger companies, the medium sized businesses, the large enterprises? Uh, how does their integration of threat intelligence differ? 
one of the things is that when you get, become a larger company, a large organization, you have multiple different uh, groups that are handling some aspect of a security function. So you may have a desktop team, you may have a server team, you may actually have a security team and a uh, threat intelligence team. But all of those teams are really just different aspects of security. You know, your, your desktop people are responsible for making sure your antivirus is up and running and that your systems are fully patched. Your server people are doing the same thing. Your vulnerability team is making sure that uh, you know, knowing about any vulnerabilities that are out there and your security team is monitoring for suspicious activity. Each one of those teams has a need for threat intelligence in a different way, in a different format or a different type of threat intelligence. And, and so really, as you get bigger, the need for threat intelligence grows and it allows you to expand and better integrate it into your operations. So in, you know, intelligence, in effect, becomes a part of your day-to-day -day operation. Even if you don't necessarily call it that, it's still part of your day-to-day -day operations. Uh, that's a really interesting insight, particularly with a large organization. Uh, different parts of that organization may need different types of threat intelligence uh, to use in different ways. You know, you think about it, you know, maybe in the SOC you need I need to know bad IP addresses. I need to know bad domains. So I need to know what, because I need to know what to block. Um, if I'm, you know, in vulnerability, I need to know what the new vulnerabilities are. I need to know how to prioritize patching. If I'm in on the endpoint team, I may need information about tactics and techniques that the bad guys are using to better better handle my incident response functions. And of course, in the boardroom, I need the big picture. What are the threats against our organization? How are they amassing themselves and, and how are they attacking other organizations that are like mine? You need to have a different view of maybe even the same set of information. You know, I, I, this bad, this, you know, pick an APT, you know, they're doing bad things against organizations like yours. Different people in your organization need to understand different aspects of that threat. Now, Levi, uh, can you explain to us where we stand these days when it comes to uh, the integration of analysts, of, of the human beings looking at this stuff, along with machines that are using artificial intelligence and machine learning, and those kinds of technologies? Sure. I think humans are the finite resource. And so we're talking about increasing the efficacy of, of workflows. And to Alan's point, you know, whether that's the security operations center, the incident response team, vulnerability management, or even the red team, there there's just such finite resources there. And being able to improve those workflows uh, really starts with machine learning. And that's, I think, where we've seen a, a huge paradigm shift in terms of understanding that, you know, technology is not the silver bullet that's going to solve all of your security challenges and woes. But when you combine smart technology, um, especially machine learning, and I think the way that we do it at Recorded Future is especially smart but when you combine, you know, the output of that and the product of that um, with with human minds who are using it to improve their workflows, the entire process improves, and ultimately that means you're reducing risk for the business. I, I want to go through some of the ways that you all use machine learning. One of them is uh, structuring data into entities and events. Uh, Alan, what does that mean? We're collecting from a wide variety of sources, but a lot of different sources are talking about the same thing. 
So you may have a ransomware attack against a city, and there are a lot of different things that are happening in that event that all build up to it. Uh, same thing if you take a piece of malware. So we have, you know, we, we, we have a piece of malware that we're looking at. Here are all of the incidents that maybe were in, that malware was involved in. Here are the known indicators. Maybe, maybe those are IP addresses. Maybe those are file hashes. Maybe those are domains, etc. And then here are the teams that may be using that piece of malware. If it's a single team and that, that malware is tied to only that team, or if there are multiple teams that are using this malware and what the techniques are that are associated with that. So really what our job is to build these ontologies around these either the, the, this type of malicious event or potentially malicious event, and then connect all the dots and present that in a unified fashion to our clients so that it doesn't matter whether that information came from a, uh, you know, a Palo Alto blog post or a, a note on Twitter or from an underground forum, whatever that is, it's presented in the same fashion to our clients. I suppose it's a combination of both velocity and volume of data that's coming in that makes it uh, so that machine learning can, can handle this stuff with that fire hose of information better than the human analysts can? Human analysts ultimately are the ones that have to make the final decision. But, you know, in order to get information from a, you know, from an underground forum or a closed access forum processed and presented in, in a right way, and we do that sometimes as quickly as five minutes from when the event happened, that, that takes machine learning. But on the, there's a whole lot of human input that went into that to build those ontologies, to understand what the threat was, to design how we're going to collect the data and, and all that other stuff. But ultimately, you need the machine to go and pull and scrape all that information as quickly as possible. And on the other side, we can present that information to an analyst, but that analyst ultimately has to make that final decision about how they're going to action that on their end. Hmm. Levi, one of the other ones I want to highlight is is this method of um, of using predictive models, um, I, using the technology to, uh, to to jump in that uh, virtual time machine and uh, try to suss out what's going to happen in the future. Can you unpack that for us? How does that work? Sure. So, if you really want the deep explanation, you should talk to our CTO uh, Stefan Trouve, who <laughs> is you know very deep into the the backend technology, but. I think in terms of practical use cases and application, one of the things that I find most interesting is when I'm in our platform and I'm specifically looking at IP addresses or uh, IP address ranges, oftentimes uh, one of the IP addresses that I'm looking at will have a predictive risk score, meaning we don't necessarily have the articulation for malicious behavior on that IP address today, but we are predicting that we will see malicious behavior from that IP address in the very near future. And I think that's actually one of the more um, interesting applications of our technology when we're able to do that. And a lot of times that will show up in the course of the analysis or the investigations that our internal research team is doing. And it is very interesting because that is the byproduct of the algorithms, even though we don't necessarily have you know specific articulation going into the risk score today, we do increment the risk score a little bit because we do believe in the power of that predictive analytic. I want to shift gears a little bit and uh, touch on third-party risk, which is uh, certainly a hot topic these days, something that I think a lot of organizations are concerned about. 
How does threat intelligence uh, interweave with third-party risk? So many organizations struggle with complexity across, you know, in an enterprise. Complexity is just out of control. And when you think about the enormousness of the technology stack that's used, you know, both, you know, in the primary corporate network, but also maybe subsidiary companies that have been acquired over the years. And then you think about all the vendors and the suppliers uh, that, that the company does business with, you're usually talking about tens of thousands. And the it's just an enormous challenge. There's just so much complexity there. Um, vendors are coming in, vendors you know, are, are maybe falling off. So I really think about this in terms of exposure analysis, where you're, you're constantly needing to do exposure analysis around you know, what your assets are from a technology perspective, but also the third and fourth party risk that's represented by the organizations that you do business with. And so threat intelligence is playing a huge, uh, pivotal role in helping these organizations really keep track of what's going on from a risk perspective, you know, across both of those functional areas. And as things become, you know, more complex over time, as we see the adoption of additional technologies um, and more and more outsourcing, there's going to just be a greater need in this in this area, I think. You know, I, I remember uh, in one of our early conversations, and, and I, I'll admit I, I don't recall if, his, if which one of you it was with, but I think it was with one of the two of you. We made the point that uh, I remember an interview with Gary Kasparov, the famous uh, chess champion, and uh, he was saying that uh, you know he was a good enough chess player that he could probably beat any human in the world, but computers had gotten good enough that the computers could probably beat any human in the world. But he said that if he combined with a computer, if he teamed up with a computer, that the two of them together could likely beat any computer on its own or any human on its own. And I thought that was a really interesting insight into the power of the combination of the people and the machines working together. Um, Alan, I'm curious uh, what your take is on that in terms of that notion of, of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. I agree. There are just things that humans can't do well, and that is, you know, collecting mass amounts of data, ciphering through that data, and pulling out the things that are uh, relevant and important in a timely fashion. That's just not something that you're going to do as a human. But you know, you need the the human back end. You need our data science team, which is absolutely amazing to build those ontologies to you know provide that continual feedback loop to make sure you're pulling the you know the machines are pulling the right information getting the right data set and then you know beyond our data science team you need the various experts that we have on staff you know the the language experts the vulnerability experts the red team experts the blue team experts to know what kind of data we should be pulling and then you know, even more important than all of that, you need our clients who continually provide that feedback loop to say, this stuff is great, this would be better. Oh, and here's another source that maybe you didn't know about. And, and that gets fed into sort of our, our, our system that continually improves that. So, you know, it, it's that combination of the two, that, that knowledge and experience that we as a company have, the, the, the human part of it, with the you know incredible machine building that we've done to and machine learning and uh, you know and and artificial intelligence that we've programmed into this to get the data that we need in, in the fastest way possible 
Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting point. Uh, Levi, particularly, I'm thinking about uh, the ability to get data back into the system. So it's it's not just flowing in one direction. Certainly. And I think you mentioned the analogy with Kasparov. And obviously, the chess analogy, there's so many permutations that a machine can quickly work out and give you, you know, a nice framework for decision making. And then, you know, he can come along as a human and, and help make, you know, the best decisions you know, with that information advantage. And I think that's, you know, really what, what we're doing. And so much of what the Recorded Future platform is today is really the powerful combination of the best of what machine learning is uh, collecting and analyzing and surfacing, but then also what our team of researchers and, and analysts are synthesizing and putting back into the platform, as well as our clients and what they put back into the platform, because that's some of the most important uh, intelligence and and data analysis that is in the platform, you know, is actually coming uh, from those decision points and and humans, you know, making those decisions. So it's really it's really I think a, a powerful capability in that you know we're trying to harness and and make available you know both capabilities to to make it as 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 useful as it can possibly be. Yeah. Well, I want to wrap up with both of you, but I want to uh, conclude by uh, getting your take on what the best way is for someone to get started. If someone is shopping around and they're trying to figure out uh, how they want to integrate threat intelligence into their security, um, what's the best way for them to get started? How do they go out there and kick the tires? Uh, Let me start with you, Levi. Well, I, I think it's really understanding the goals of the program. What What is it you want to achieve? And I think you, you need to have a good sense of what that is really before you start in, in terms of building a program or, uh, you know, acquiring tools, um, whatever it may be. You really just want to understand, you know, what is it that we're, we're trying to accomplish here? And then secondarily, how are we going to measure it? If we're going to integrate threat intelligence, if we're going to produce it or import it, how do we measure risk reduction? How do we measure improving security once we're doing that? And I think those are really fundamentally important questions to answer uh, before you do anything. You know, I obviously have lots of thoughts on on those both those questions and that topic, and that's a whole separate segment. But I, I think that's really important. And then once you do that, then you can sort of work backwards and you can think through. You know, is it really primarily going to be operational threat intelligence? Meaning, you know, is if the goal is to improve security controls across the organization, that's certainly one focus of threat intelligence. You know, there are other focuses of threat intelligence, you know, focused on on business decisions and security spending and security drivers uh, at the more strategic level. But it's it's really understanding, you know, the difference there and what you want to accomplish and achieve. And there's no right or wrong answer. But I think that sometimes the mistake gets made where folks aspirationally jump into threat intelligence because they realize that they they have a need and they realize that there's a gap there, but they don't necessarily have a a solid uh, framework. They don't necessarily have a a solid goal in mind in terms of what they want to achieve. And I I think that that's a mistake. Alan, what's your take? Levi took all the good answers, so I'm just you know <laughs> just going to say ditto. Um, you know, I mean, yes, everything Levi said is correct. Uh, you know, um, and, and I think when you're getting started, you have to define what you mean by threat intelligence because I don't know anybody who goes out and says I need to get threat intelligence as the first their first foray into it because most organizations that are smaller don't think they're ready for threat intelligence. What they're ready for is some variant of that, whether that is, 
I need to better understand the threats against my organization. I, I'm drowning in alerts. Um, you know, I don't know, um, you know, whether or not this things that I'm buying are safe and secure. I don't know anything about, you know, the partners that I'm using. So you start by defining in your mind what you think threat intelligence means to you, how it's going to help your organization, and then prioritizing where you think threat intelligence can be the most useful. So if you're just getting started, you don't want to start with everything all at once because, you know, that, that's generally how organizations fail uh, with a threat intelligence program is trying to deploy it everywhere immediately and not doing any of it well. So you want to take what you think your priority is, what, what your highest goal is in terms of threat intelligence, start with that, and then expand out from there as you better understand what the other needs are within your organization. All right. Well, gentlemen, uh, thanks for taking the time for us. It's great to uh, circle back around, uh, I guess, almost 100 episodes later and uh, revisit the topic with you both. I do appreciate it. Dave, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Likewise. Thanks a lot, Dave. Our thanks to Alan Liska and Levi Gundert from Recorded Future for joining us. You can learn even more about threat intelligence over on the Recorded Future website. There's a blog post there titled, What is Threat Intelligence? Definition and Examples. Don't forget to sign up for the Recorded Future Cyber Daily email, where every day you'll receive the top results for trending technical indicators that are crossing the web. Cyber news, targeted industries, threat actors, exploited vulnerabilities, malware, suspicious IP addresses, and much more. You can find that at recordedfuture.com intel. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll subscribe and help spread the word among your colleagues and online. The Recorded Future podcast team includes coordinating producer Zane Picorni, executive producer Greg Barrett. The show is produced by The Cyberwire with editor John Petrick, executive producer Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening.